Hello, hello, this is Pete from Box Office 30. I wanted to tell you all about something exciting I'm working on and invite you to be a part of it. Recently, I started a little online business selling comic books and other collectibles on the Whatnot platform. It's called Pete's Comics and Collectibles. Apt name, right? What is Whatnot, you may be asking yourself? Well, it's kind of a weird blend between Twitch and eBay. You can find all sorts of great collectibles, both modern and vintage. There's tons of different categories you can follow, and what you do is join live shows that the sellers are putting on, and you can see what they're selling, and chat with them in real time, chat with others in real time, and place bids on items that you might be interested in. Really cool, really fun, and if you win, the items are shipped directly to you. Couldn't be easier. And if you join using my link, you'll actually receive $10 to use in the app. So sign up now at whatnot.com slash invite slash Pete's Comics to get your $10. And that's coincidentally the name of my channel, Pete's Comics. So whether you're a new user or somebody who's been using Whatnot for a while, I'd love for you to come check out my stream. I sell lots of fun stuff, lots of old comics, lots of new comics, lots of other stuff coming up. Maybe some baseball cards, Magic the Gathering, who knows? Again, that's Pete's Comics on the Whatnot app. Hope to see you soon. Thanks. is a presentation of the Retro Network. Strap in, movie fans. We're about to take you 30 years into the past to explore the biggest blockbuster hits of the 1990s. I'm Pete. And I'm Michael. And, and this, this is, is Box Office 30. 30. Merry Christmas. Welcome to Box Office 30's review of Home Alone 2, Lost in New York. I'm Pete, and as usual, I'm joined by my good buddy and co-host, Michael. How are you doing, sir? I'm good. You caught me mid-chewing of my lunch. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, uh, we're recording. Michael and I are usually night owls with this podcast. We usually record at night, and of late, we only ever record like way after the podcast is supposed to have dropped. And, but I, uh, I, I take full responsibility for it this time because we were moving back into my house. I yeah, still have no, like you can't take full responsibility because like a couple of weeks back when we're like, and in, in two weeks, check in for the, <laughs> like at that point in time, it should have been blatantly obvious to both of us that it's like, Oh, he's going to be moving house right then. So that's not going to happen. <laughs> you know? So uh, yeah, it is what it is. Um, it's all good. <laughs> Uh, so anyway, um, we've got a fun review here for you. Um, it's fun revisiting the Home Alone franchise again. I wasn't sure if we were going to do that after we did the uh, first one, but I guess uh, the fans spoke and we're back here again. That's how it landed. 
But I have to say, you know, I think you and I were talking a bit about this last time. And, and correct me if I'm wrong. Did you say that you liked the second movie better than the first? Um, I think there are parts of the second that I like better than the first. I think a lot of that is to do because we, we really know who the characters are at this point. Yeah. Um, there, there are elements of the first movie that I love more. But I think everything in the hotel in relation to the hotel staff and Kevin is the funniest stuff in the whole movie. <laughs> yeah, it's funny. Like, not that I don't mind, you know, the, the wet slash sticky bandits being back again, but I could have almost done with more like antics in the hotel and like, you know, driving them crazy because yeah. they were such a great foil to him in this. But um, it's funny having rewatched it again. Like I've always kind of put it like second fiddle to the original. And I think it's probably still the case, but I enjoyed it a lot more than I remembered enjoying it, you know, previously. So, yeah, basically, I do think that, yes, adding the sticky slash wet bandits in the story benefits because it's familiar. But the hotel staff really is a great new adversary to Kevin and adds a different layer to the story that I find very enjoyable and compelling. And that ensemble cast of hotel staff are great together and hilarious. In my well, opinion. it's funny. We, we said this last time. It's the same movie. It's <laughs> like almost plot for point, you know, beat like one after another. It's like it's basically the exact same thing. So then you have to question, all right, well, what makes this different, right? And, you know, I the New York uh, hotel staff there is obviously one of the uh, differences than the city itself as kind of like the space in which this is all happening, big difference. And you've got like the toy store. And so there's a part of me that kind of regrets that there's like the uncle's house is available up in the West nineties and this, the, we'll just go the, the sticky bandits happen to be in town. They broke out of jail and went to like the busiest city <laughs> in America. Yeah. America. Um, presumably having left Chicago jail to do so. Um, you know, so it's like, all right, I guess like audiences want to see them again. So it's like, all right, well now we need to have a playground for that to take place. in. so we're just going to have this like a, you know, like abandoned slash under construction, um, really needs a lot of work. <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> townhouse in the West nineties. Um, yeah, I don't know. Just, it's just bizarre. Um, I, it's almost like they didn't have the confidence to just like plow on, you know, like imagine if they had like, if he had done like all those traps, like in the toy store, like or- using toys and like things like that. And like just defeated them in Duncan's toy store, like tore that place. Cause apart. it's a huge set piece. That, yeah. that toy store is a huge set piece. I would have loved to see him do that or somehow wreak havoc in the hotel. Like, yeah. I almost feel like the the sticky bandits should have been robbing the, the hotel. Yeah. And, and like, he finds a way to thwart them inside the hotel while he's also being chased by the hotel staff at the same time. Like, yeah, I mean, you could see different directions that this might but, go, but I tell you what, why don't we dive in sure. on the film proper, but, but cause we can always go down a rabbit hole on this, but um, so first things first, I need to clear the air because you were 100% right. 
and this doesn't always happen, so I really need to make a big thing. <laughs> it's that they were going to Florida. They were yes. going to Paris. Yeah. And no, one you, died. No one declared dead. <laughs> yeah. You know, it's uh, it's bizarre because I just had it in my head, and it goes to show you how faulty my memory is because we only just watched Home Alone last year, that they were going to Paris in the first movie and then Florida in the second. Somehow in my brain – that didn't jive. I was like, well, no, you know, they have to step everything up. He's going to end up in New York. They must be going somewhere international like Paris. So I flipped the two, but it's bizarre how that happened because yeah. I, like, I, it was in two my years head, ago, we did Home Alone 1. Well, two fair years. enough. Yes. But like in my head, I was like, you know, she's got like, she gets in like the, the van with Uncle Buck there and they're traveling. And like, you know, I was like, how did she do that from an international flight? And, and then like, I was like, oh no, they, she did. She caught like a flight that was going to like, Sheboygan or something yeah, weird, like, like Ohio or something like that. <laughs> yeah, like, yeah, and then like managed to catch the yeah, and like, that's how it happened. So uh, yeah, so I I owe you an apology on that one. You were a hundred percent correct. I'm rarely to, right, folks. I'm ra- right off the bat. <laughs> Let's mark the calendar. I'm rarely right. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, I I have my notes here, and I'm just going to run through some of them because I kind of pulled out some of the points that were making me giggle or or that I thought were fun. So the first one is, um, you know, the family's all together again, but uh, the uncle in the shower, I forgot that that's where he got that recording. I sort of thought it was his dad or something, but it's like the crazy uncle he's got. And it's like the exact same thing as later in the movie. Like he's even doing that dance where like the arms are going like the clown does. How they um, figured out how to make that look the, the same is, is so crazy. <laughs> there's a great line there right before that too, where um, Kevin's like talking to his, I don't know, his mom or somebody She's like, uh, he's like, oh, uncle, whatever, says, like, if I see him naked in the bathroom, that I'll grow up never feeling like a real man. <laughs> and I was like, that is brilliant, because, like, that's uh, immediately one of those, like, jokes for the parents, you know? Yes, for sure. Um, and I should also take this time to point out that I had a larger audience for this this time around. You know, a lot of times I think it's you and me watching these movies individually. Sometimes mm-hmm. our significant other will join us, sometimes in-laws, I guess it sounds like. I haven't had that experience yet. That would be interesting. But I had not one but two of my kids watching this wow. movie. <laughs> yes, I was planning on watching it with Zoe because she watched Home Alone with me the last time. Um, but Kara uh, was reticent at first to watch it, but then got into it and was like giggling like crazy at some of the um, kid humor in this. So I was, I was very happy to have the whole family in on, on this watching. So anyway, the family ends up um, at church and uh, the boys are in the choir and um, buzz. Was it church? Was it church or was the high school? Maybe a school. I don't know. It, It like, it just like, screamed like church to me i I can't remember one of the two i think it was high school um like buzz is right behind kevin and he's got like a candle or two and he starts like pretending he's like drumming on kevin's head and all this and the audience starts dying dying like you haven't seen anybody laugh this hard at like a legit comedy show they're all just like losing it over buzz's antics and i was like wow that's a bit much (laughs) so like it leads to kevin and him getting in a fight and kevin like knocking him on the ground and here we are right back at the beginning of home alone again (laughs) where it's like the same exact thing happened and uh, I've said it then. I'm saying it again. This is the worst family ever. <laughs> like, they are. They're, they're not a very good, like, uh, family unit in the sense that they, like, support their children very well. Um, you missed a, missed a key element, though. 
All right, yeah, go ahead. When they're getting ready to go to the performance, there the dad knocks out the alarm clock plug. Yes. And I was going to mention my, it later, but yes. But <laughs> my first thought was, okay, well, there's your little, you know, oh, they're going to wake up late thing. But I'm sitting there and I'm like, they have 14 people in this house and yeah. they set one alarm clock. <laughs> Although I have to say that's actually probably realistic. Like anytime that I've been on like larger family sort of trips or things like that, there always seems to be like a timekeeper whose job it is to like kind of go around and wake everybody else up. So I don't know. That one actually might be uh, semi-realistic, but it is funny thinking about it from, you know, like the perspective of like now, whenever I stay in a hotel, I don't even want to touch their dirty alarm clock. If there's even one there, it's like, I just, yeah. plug, you know, I just always use the alarm on my phone, you know? So it's just like, I guess there's a, a, an equivalent these days if they were doing yeah. like home alone 10 or whatever we're up to. Um, where somebody's cell phone died overnight, you know. <laughs> well, have you seen the um, the commercial with Macaulay Culkin as like adult Kevin in the house? Yes, yeah. Actually, I, I think that came out like semi around when we did the Home Alone. I would say it was around 2020. Like, yeah, like the 30th anniversary of it, which is kind of funny. Yeah, but, it might um, not have been enough time for us to talk about it, but I do remember seeing it around that point. I think. So, as you're saying before. Like they gather around the living room, like the whole family, the aunt, the uncle, the cousins, the everybody's there. And they're basically having the two kids on trial in a way. And, <laughs> yeah. and Buzz like pleads his martyr case to this whole situation. And everyone's like, oh, what a great spin movie. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, because he talks so <laughs> he like speaks so nice. He's just like using like these like, you know, <laughs> ten syllable words to like express like how how heartfelt his uh, his apology is. You know, it's just like, yeah. <laughs> just wait. <laughs> so you started off this podcast by mentioning that you, you had a mouthful. So it's fair game for me to mention that you just put another mouthful in, but you're eating a salad with like... <laughs> Not a fork, <laughs> but literally like like one of the like, giant wooden spoon or something. Like, what is that? It's uh, it's the tongs that you use to toss it. Um, and ironically, it's the Schitt's Creek Catherine O'Hara spice. <laughs> Wonderful, yeah. But it's like a wooden spoon. Like it's like a full sized wooden spoon. Like you would mix like stuff when you're baking with. That's it's easier unreal. than with a fork. <laughs> I guess so, but like it's just like I'm watching you try and put like that in your mouth, and like the spoon is like to the very edges of your face. It's just like okay. Anyway, back back to the show. I derailed folks. the show, guys. Yeah, we're we're having a day here. This is what happens when we do this in the daytime instead of at, at nine o'clock at night. Um, so anyway, uh, yes, yeah. So like he's pleading his case. Everybody's like, "Oh, Buzz, what a wonderful boy you are!" And of course, Kevin just like lets loose like i'm not sorry he's an asshole <laughs> like whatever he says <laughs> you know like it's like completely fair and again yeah. like you know like all the kids look like they made were made to like sit there and listen to this apology they all look bored and like don't really care and like he goes storming off upstairs to the top attic where you know like fuller is just like you're gonna be up there again with me <laughs> you know like while he's drinking like his 18th coke of the movie so far yeah um and the mother shows up. Kid. 
Yeah, the mother shows up upstairs and literally acknowledges what has happened and essentially what's about to happen again. She's like, this was a disaster the last time. Started just like this. But then she perpetuated it. Like, instead of being like, look, Kevin, I recognize that you have an older brother that really puts you through your, you know, paces. You got to be better. You got to rise above, you know, like, you know, be a good parent. She's just like, all right, well, we'll see what happens sort of thing. And of course he does, you know, she, she even says the thing like, well, like last year you got your wish. Maybe it'll come true again this time. You can't say something like that. It's going to happen. <laughs> yeah. but with, honestly, though, we're looking at it at a 2022 lens. I feel like a parent in 92 might talk to their kid that way. Well, yeah, 100%. <laughs> like, that wooden spoon that you just had out. Like, if my brother and I were, like, doing something like that, she, like, my mom would literally go over to the drawer and get the wooden spoon out and be like, get over here, you know? Like, <laughs> you're about to get paddled if you keep it up. So, uh, yeah, no, definitely a different uh, different time period. But, yeah, I don't know. Like, just just having been through, like, this, like, life-altering disaster of, of circumstances, you think they would have learned some kind of lesson. <laughs> Anyway, uh, we get this like cool little reveal where the newspaper kind of blows along and hits the door or something like that. It's got uh, wet bandits escape during prison riot. You know, <laughs> like I love that these two knuckleheads and managed to get out of out yeah. of prison during a prison riot. But sure, why not? We got to set that up so we'll see and, them and later on. Like, you could wonder if one could get away. Sure, but both. I find yeah. that like I will sure. say. I kind of want to see that scene, you know, like rather than, yeah, rather than just like the reveal via a newspaper, you know, headline, then you see them in New York, uh, you know, a little bit. I kind of want to see them like coming out of like a tunnel with like the sirens going off in the background and like the whole nine yards. Um, I that would be kind of fun, but whatever. Um, so uh, again, history repeating itself. The vans show up. The alarm doesn't go off, <laughs> and uh, they knock over the little jockey in front of their house again. <laughs> you know, this, and destroy it this time. Yeah, it's really. This time it's done for. <laughs> Um, but they, sl- we slept in, you know, it's like, again, like, it's like, which movie am I watching here? Yeah, it feels very close to the original. Yeah. Um, and, uh, you know, like same music, same everybody rushing around doing the kind of like a Benny Hill sort of thing. And they get in the van and they're counting out the tickets and she goes, Kevin. And he like, he's in the front seat. He turns out, he's like, what? I was going to let you guys leave me again, you know, sort of thing. Um, but on the trip to the airport, and this is the spot where you and I were trying to figure out, like, how did this happen? Uh, he needed batteries from his dad's bag, which I'm like, God bless his father carrying batteries in a bag right. on a trip, <laughs> you know, um, because he wants to put batteries into his uh, talk boy. Yeah, talk boy, yeah. Yeah. And so uh, when they get to the airport, the dad hands him over the bag, I guess, or he takes it from the dad. And they're all like running top speed to try and make uh, their flight. And what does he do? He like stops dead in his tracks to replace the batteries. Oh, there, like, I would assume, right? It's like, yeah, it's be it okay, probably. Yeah. yeah, and then like looks up, and, and there's like another guy that vaguely looks like his dad that's wearing like an essentially the same sort of outfit, and he starts following him instead. Um, you know, so <laughs> it it just you you have to have these things happen for the movie to happen, but it like it's so silly. Um, that like, one of those things where I'm like, they lost the kid once before. You'd think because, yeah. and, and and I'm getting ahead of myself. He's 
in a lot of the movie, Kevin is talking about how much he misses his mother, right? And and how he wishes he could like he has a very close connection with his mother more than his father. You'd think she'd want to be like, you're glued to me this entire yeah. run through the airport. Like, I'm not letting you out of my sight, kid. And yeah, he, she's he's really running away. He's like the uh like the bungee cord. <laughs> Yeah, exactly. <laughs> like when you go to Disney and you see the parent attached to the kid, like that's he, he's a, a prime candidate for that technology, you know. <laughs> yes, absolutely. Um, but like, yeah, it's, and you know, like they get to the gate and they're like, "No, I'm not going through until I make sure everybody's here." Well, like all you need to do is like a quick spot check, like look up and down the line and make sure that, especially that one essential kid is there, you know. But like the <laughs> the lady at the gate's like, "Don't worry, ma'am, you got to get on board. I'll make sure everybody gets in." Should that woman have no? frame of reference yeah. for who's there or who's not there. So she, you know, like she would definitely need um, to make sure that all the people got in. And then I, I also recognize that once they get on the plane that they sort of make a comment like, Oh, you know, we booked this so late. We had to get seats all over the plane. So we're not sitting together. Yeah. It's like, man, what a dysfunctional family. Like if you're bringing 14 people on a flight, like maybe get your tickets early. You know what I mean? Like, And, and you've got to assume this family is wealthy. <laughs> like, yeah. like the parents are all in first class, both to Florida and to when they went to France. Like they've got money. They couldn't figure out how to get their tickets together. <laughs> yeah. And also like, you know, you sit down in the plane. You don't go back and check to see that the kid is there on I the know. plane. Yeah. Never gets up once to check on them. Yeah. It's some next level parenting for sure. Um, so Kevin manages to chase this other guy and he runs into, uh, the gate, uh, person at the, at gate the New York gate and the tickets all go flying in the air. And he's like, I'm sure mine's in here somewhere. She's like, all right, well, like I can't just let a kid on a plane. He's like, no, my dad just ran in here. And she's like, all right, well go, you know, find him. You know, like, like the guy like comes up the gate and he's like, all right, well like follow him on, make sure that he finds his father. So she does the very bare minimum, which is to like walk into like the entryway of the plane and be like, do you see your dad? And he's like, yeah, right over there. And she's like, all right, great. <laughs> like, go find a, a seat in the back. <laughs> Not like, all right, I'm going to bring you to your father and make sure that he knows that you're here, you know, because he just negligently ran through without his kid like two minutes earlier. Again, you this know, is sort also of thing. pre-9-11. Um, so yeah. there's that element of it too, like – it was a dip. The airports were way different. A hundred percent for sure. Um, but the other, like, I got to give them like credit. Like they kind of wrote in like other little things to sort of like cover the tracks of why this whole mix up would possibly happen. And so like Kevin sits next to this guy who I don't know what language he was speaking, but the guy's like, blah, 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 you know, like just talking his ear off. And it's clear the poor kid has no idea what this guy's saying. So he puts his earphones on so he doesn't have to listen to him. And in doing so, he misses the announcement that says like, all right, welcome to flight da, 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 to New York. So right. that's how he would not know that he's headed to New York until he actually um, gets there. But uh, he travels all the way. Um, there and the family ends up in Miami and they actually figure out fairly quickly, uh, I guess fairly quickly, at least when they're at the baggage claim that Kevin is not with them, which um, is pretty far. If you think, yeah, about I mean like in airport terms, at least I was thinking like, I couldn't remember if they like realized it once they got to the hotel or, you know, like as they were traveling, I couldn't remember what the situation was. Um, but they of course like go in, 
um, to speak to this police officer. And it's actually another one of the, like the highlights of the movie for me that like the cop is like, all right, so like, where's your, you know, like, where would your son be? Whatever. <laughs> the cop like they're like oh well this has actually happened to us before they make like a, like a joke about it and the guy's got like this dead serious face like what the hell is the matter with you people <laughs> yeah they're laughing at the fact that they lost their kid once before yeah. and it's like it's because, no like, oh, it's becoming like our holiday like travel like <laughs> yeah <British>. like <laughs> i got to point out though when, when um the mom realizes that kevin is missing the way that not only I mean she faints and has this kind of like crazy reaction, but her eyes and everything, they really look like she like had a out of body experience and just kind of fainted. And it's it's really hilarious. You moment. know, I gotta point out you're using her spoon <laughs> right now. Same same person. Yes, I know. I know. <laughs> there you go. Uh, although I haven't seen you put a chock full of stuff up in a bit here. Maybe you're at I the end. I finished the bowl. That's why I finished the bowl of salad already. I'm done. Very I'm nice. Starving. I was starving. I didn't eat breakfast. <laughs> um, so yeah, so the cop is like, it was one of those things where it's almost like if it was today, he'd be calling Child Protective Services to get this kid taken away from this family when yes. they find him. Yes, 100%. <laughs> it's really like, oh yeah. boy. So, so I have a note in here that I had to point out because like I've probably mentioned it on the podcast before, but I lived in New York City for like 17 years and man, what a difference in the skyline. You know, they start showing like, you know, on his trip into the city in the cab, like all the, the city skyline and everything. And I was just like, now they've got all these super talls and like all these sections of town that have been built up. And it's like, it's so, so different. It's like that yeah. classic... Uh, style New York uh, landscape has changed so dramatically like in the past 10 years. So I just thought and, that was a And not only that, thing. to make a significant point though, usually in these movies, like think of like Sleepless in Seattle or whatever, they always use the Empire State Building, like the, the observatory up there. In this movie, he's on top of the World Trade Center. Yeah. And there's this long like helicopter pan back and you're just like, Wow, that's weird. Like he he's alone on the top of the World Trade Center towers, or the, yeah. the twin towers. It's so eerie in a way because you could never imagine what would happen, you know. I know it's weird. It's like you watch a movie like this and like there's a part of your brain that like recognizes like this horrific thing happened and they're gone and then the people that were lost in it. But then there's another where it's like it's so iconic to that era of New York and, and with us growing up knowing that that it's also like oh like it just is gonna like live on forever in, in movies like this it's, you know yeah in movies like this exactly yeah but I had a note about his travels because that's kind of like the end of the montage but he travels all over New York in this montage yeah and I'm talking all over like he's all the way down there he's down at South Street Seaport he's way way up like past Harlem at like the, that famous diner I mean like he's like all over the place. And it's like, this is another one of these movies. And you and I've talked about it on a couple occasions now that, you know, I'm sure it's the case for any movie that's taking place in any city and anybody that's a resident of that place can identify it very quickly and be like, Oh, how'd they get from there to there? But New York is used in so many movies, you know, the John wicks of the world or whatever, where like somebody will be somewhere and the next minute they're somewhere else. And it's like, that seems crazy how far he just traveled. And this movie is insanely guilty of that. That's like oh, cinema sin. Number one with this film is that like, he is jumping all over Manhattan in like the blink of an in eye. Moment. Yeah. <laughs> I'm, sitting there and I'm like that cab ride must've been 
four hundred dollars. <laughs> He's going well, to the like, airport, which is really because I'm far. talking about it now, and I might bring it up again in my notes later. But just because I'm talking about it now, he's staying at the Plaza Hotel, which is down on like essentially like between like 59th and 57th over on Fifth Avenue, and his uncle's place is not exactly shown where it is, but roughly around West 90. It's on West 92nd Street. Yeah. The impression you get is like you keep seeing him make this turn on Central Park West at West 92nd. So I don't know if he's in that first block between like that and I guess it'd be Amsterdam up there. And I was going to say Columbus. I don't remember which one it'll be between up there. I guess Columbus still. Um, That if you walked that, that's like a good probably like hour, hour 10 walk between those two locations. And there's times where he's like essentially like running from one and ending up at the other. In like like a split second. <laughs> I remember one time when we were much younger, you and I walked from like Tribeca up to your apartment on like 72nd. Yeah, why did we do that? <laughs> we were young and stupid and healthy. And uh, I, I think that walk took like three hours. <laughs> <laughs> I had, um, I think it was during Hurricane Irene. I was doing a course at, um, what the heck is the name of it? One... World Center, I think, is the building. It's like the furthest south building in Manhattan. And I was doing like a uh, like a programming course. And uh, Hurricane Irene had left all the lower portion of the city and the subways very flooded. Underwater, yeah. Yeah. And like, I was like, like, I don't know, like an idiot. I was like, I got to get to this course. Like, instead of just being like, you know what? Like, none of the subways are, are running. This is a problem. This is a problem. I'm just not going to bother. So I walked and it took me almost four hours to get all the way down there. And I walked through the door and the instructor turns and looks at me like, what the heck are you doing here this late? And I was like, I couldn't help it. I had to walk. Like, I tried to catch a cab. You know, like, I should have tried maybe grabbing a bicycle and like riding down the Greenway might have been a little better. But there's portions of the city where I was just walking. Yeah, no, but I was just like walking like shoulder to shoulder with people in crowds. It was that crowd of people trying to get to work and things for hours. So. Yeah, no, at any rate, like New York City's a big place. <laughs> and he is just jumping all over the place, like, you know, like crazy. So he traveled a lot in a very short period of time. Um, it was at the point that he's at the World Trade Center and is doing this pan out that I noticed, holy cow, they did a awesome. 4K Ultra HDR 10 upscale. And I figured yeah, that upgrade, yeah. I was like really looking. I was like, man, this looks good. And then after the movie, I like backed out and was like looking at the settings. And sure enough, they had done like a full HDR 10 like upscale. So I was like, well, no wonder it looks as good as it does, you know. So uh, that was fun to kind of watch the movie like through new eyes with like, you know, like just a really nice quality. They must have gone right back to the original film stock and and done that. So pretty neat. Um, So, uh, oh, yeah. (laughs) This is where I had the notes. So I, I mixed things up a little bit, but this is where they have like the, uh, yeah, we lose our son, but we never lose our luggage. That's the joke they make when the cop makes the straight face. <laughs> and his face was so wonderful. But yet he did lose his luggage because he he gave Kevin his bag, which yes, had all their money. He did, yes. <laughs> he caught him on a technicality. So uh, Kevin, in his travels, is walking down by uh, the famous fish market that used to be in South Street Seaport doesn't exist there anymore. Um, but uh, the uh, sticky, wet slash sticky bandits uh, show up. They're in the back of like a, like a fish truck. Mm-hmm. So I suppose you're meant to take away that they've like 
taken this fish truck from Chicago <laughs> to New York or something. Like, I don't think there's any fish deliveries coming from Chicago necessarily. So right. I, I don't know. Might've been the last like leg of their ride or something. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. They got to New York by way of Maryland, I guess. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. Um, but uh, <laughs> he, he has a great line um, where uh, he says, uh, you know what that smell is? And Marv goes, fish. And he goes, no, Marv, it's freedom. <laughs> and like, he, like whatever, they, they get out of the truck and he's just like, still smells like fish. <laughs> I was just like, I had to like stop because I was like, oh my God, Daniel Stern in this movie, like as funny as he was in Home Alone, he is 10 times funnier in this he movie. funnier because he like really leaned into the character. Yeah, and- like, yeah, absolutely. Like, there's no time in this movie that he's not like saying or doing something that I wasn't just giggling to death. Like yeah. my kids probably thought I was insane. But to be honest with you, they also picked up and were laughing at his stuff the most. Like, mm. you know, like especially once it gets into the trap things at the end and like his reactions to things, the kids were dying from some yeah, his, of his reactions. His were so funny. He's like a human cartoon character. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like, and it's very funny because he has this like <laughs> relatively small and specific career, particularly being this kind of goofy foil in a bunch of kids movies. He has a couple other movies where he shows up in other things, but it's like this, it's like camp nowhere. It's like uh, rookie of the year. Um, you know, it's like, you know, like all these same type of movies where he's like, Oh, he's playing some like doofy adult foil mm-hmm. to like the kids in that movie. Um, God bless him. He, he did such a good job in this. I was cracking up the whole time. I mean, you know where he really made all of his money, though, don't you? Uh, uh, playing basketball in college? No. He was, a, <laughs> he was the voice of adult Kevin Arnold in that's right. Wonder Years. <laughs> that's right. Big, big Wonder Years money. That's that's <laughs> where he's solidified for life. He right, made his nut right there. <laughs> that's it. <laughs> Oh, jeez. <laughs> um, yeah, so needless to say, I've been coming off a, a weird cold. So if I get laughing too much, it ends up like that. So I apologize in advance. Um, so uh, we get introduced to the pigeon lady. Um, so Kevin comes across her. Um, I'm trying to remember where he first sees her. I park. think, she, yeah, no, well, in the park, I, I'm saying, but I think it's down by the duck pond. Uh, which is right off the corner of the plaza, I think is where he first runs into her. I think he finds her there again later in the movie when he's trying to give her the turtle dove. Um, but uh, he sees her and he like all the pigeons. And like, I was trying to remember why he was freaked out by her. And I think I was thinking because he's like, oh, she's homeless or something like that. It was that he was grossed out by the pigeons being on her. He's like, no, sick, there's pigeons on her. And I was like, man, that's kind of like, I guess I could see that because I know people who... Like, especially like, like you live in New York, pigeons are a fact of life. (laughs) They just exist everywhere. You know, like there's just not getting around them. So you get used to them after a while, but like, it makes you kind of forgetful that there's people like, ew, that's a flying rat you got on your shoulder there. And Kevin's definitely, I guess, taking that um, tack, you know? So Mm -hmm. that was seemed to be more what it was. He wasn't really saying like, ew, she's homeless or something. It was like, ew, she's, she's got pigeons all over. Um, so anyway, this was like Kevin and the Bandits cross paths much more literally this time again. They kind of keep doing this for a while throughout the movie until they finally spot each other. 
um, that like they're crossing um, Fifth Avenue down by the plaza, which kind of doesn't a hundred percent make sense because Kevin would want to be on the west side of that road. This is like I'm gonna just so nerd out on like the locations. You're looking at the locations, but um but they like pass each other and uh <laughs> uh basically um we run into like this woman um where Marv sees her and he's just like hey you know and she kind of like slaps him and it like sets up for later that we're gonna end up seeing her again um but kevin ends up over at the plaza now the plaza um it is a very pretty hotel but it is done up to the nines in this movie and it is gorgeous if you go there nowadays in real life it's still pretty but like i was thinking to myself like they had to it must have added so much extra light in filming this because it's actually quite dark in the lobby of the plaza um, and like everything just seemed very bright and, and like welcoming in this. And I was just, like, I don't remember it looking like that it, in my recollection. It's got kind of a darker sort of entrance way, um, but very old and ornate. Um, still one of the few places in New York that's really hung on to that, that look. Um, definitely worth checking out uh, if you're ever in town. Not for nothing. Cause it's kind of a cool shopping center underneath it um, these days too. Um, but uh what you call it? Uh, we immediately get, and I knew it was in there, but I couldn't remember when it happened. The Donald Trump cameo <laughs> where like Kevin is essentially like, Oh, where do I have to go? And uh, you know, he's like, Oh, you go this way. And he kind of like he, kid, you know, walks away and he kind of does like an odd double take sort of thing. Um, and I think my recollection, and I, I should really probably fact check this, but I think my recollection is that he might've owned the plaza at that point or had some stake in it. And in order to use it, he wanted like a cameo, like in the movie. I think I read or heard that somewhere, but I, I don't, I don't know that for a fact. So I should really fact check it. (laughs) I did such a bad job this time looking up my facts. I feel sad, but um, there you go. There's his cameo. So, uh, (laughs) so he, he has this kind of clever idea Um, Kevin, where he's like trying uh, to figure out how he's going to, um, make a reservation for himself at this hotel without like having like an adult do it. So he like records himself with the talk boy and gets the phone number. And like, I think from their lobby calls the lobby, but like plays back his voice, like in like a slower motion. So it sounds like, Hey there. I'd like to make a reservation. You know, like he like somehow had this perfect recording where he's like credit card, you know, like sure thing. <laughs> like, it's also like, uh, so, so first of all, Donald Trump did own it till to, to from like 87 to 95. I just Googled it. Real thank quick. you. I know. I, I was going to say, I knew that he didn't own it in, in the more present day, but I think he owned it back then. And, and what what's funny about the recording that, that Kevin does is he says, this is, Peter McAllister, yeah. the father. <laughs> the father. <laughs> like, how dumb are these people? They're like, okay. <laughs> I know, we- but that's like the best part is like he says something like that that like doesn't make any sense. And yet he'll also like have like the foresight to be like the first thing they're going to say is like, we need a credit card. He's like, credit card? No problem. <laughs> you know, like, and it's just like, it's so like works perfect. He didn't even have to do his little, like little, like fast forward, you know, whatever that he no, does I throughout the rest of the movie. Yeah. That. Um, so anyway, he sets himself up for a room like seconds before he walks yes. in <laughs> and, <laughs> and, and, you know, checks in. Um, like, didn't you just call, sir? 
Yeah, yes, I yes. did actually. So he's checking in and I made a little note for myself because again, I think one of the fun things about watching these older movies, these 30 year old movies is when we've seen, like we pointed out in original home alone, like that, like Buzz's room was like this shrine to like early nineties, like pop culture, like all the Mm -hmm. sports and movie and whatever references that were in his room. And this so cracked me up because they had the old, you know, swipe credit machine, credit card machine, which I don't think I ever got a chance to use. I think by the time I I had a credit card when I was a teenager, I don't think I ever went anywhere that used that, but I can vividly remember going with my parents to like Caldors or whatever back in the day. And we'd pay for something. And it was like, like the big, like clanky thing. (laughs) When I worked at Apple um, back in 2004, we had a time when, when like the computer system went down and we had to use those. No kidding. And, and I used it for about a week and it was pretty cool, but it was so nerve wracking because like it came out with like four different sheets of like copy carbon paper and you had to give one to the customer, like one in the cash register, one in here. It was like a whole thing and there's just so, so much more work. It's like, like taking a check. <laughs> You know what? Now that you mention it, I think one of the like the very first, like I was like one of these kids where my parents were like, "All right, you're gonna like work as soon as you're able to." So I got like the uh, I don't remember what they used to call that. It was like a blue card or a green card or something thing for blue working card, when you yep. turned I think fourteen. Fourteen. Um, and uh, at the very beginning of that job, we I would do the. I forgot all about that. That I had a handful of times. And it was almost immediately after I started working there that they got like the little like electronic reader and I didn't have to do that anymore. Kind of a funny thing though. It just uh, cracked me up that like this like big end like hotel would still be so for the record, <laughs> we're about 45 minutes into the podcast at this point and we're at bullet point 21 of yeah, 90. Yeah, I'll speed it up, I guess. You know, I just, I, I, I just, I thought that was such a fun piece of like nostalgia. So anyway, this brings me to my, absolute favorite part of this movie which is tim curry the man the myth the legend he is he doesn't even have that much to do in this movie there's really only a handful of scenes but he is so wonderful and just chews the fat in every scene that he's in in this i loved it so much he has this like real devilish kind of just like hoity-toity attitude about him throughout the whole thing. And you know what it is? In his look, right? With no mustache (laughs) or facial hair of any sort, and like the way his hair is cut, especially when he makes like those like devilish grins. Yeah. Almost like the Grinch in a way. Well, they do. They have a – I was going to bring it up in a bit when the scene actually happens, but Kevin's watching the Grinch – and they use <laughs> they use the shot they fade from the Grinch with that giant grin on his face to Tim Curry in the exact same spot with the same grin on his face. Yeah. And I was like, oh, my God, that is so brilliant. Whoever thought to do that, it's so wonderful. Oh, my it's God, it's so great. Perfect cut. It's really good. But, yeah, like – But he's instantly let's... suspicious of Kevin, which is so bizarre. Like, it's like there are children that enter that hotel. <laughs> I guess it was just because he, like, seemed to be by himself. So, like, uh, yeah, you know, it, it is kind of curious, but I guess at the same token, it's like, all right, I, I could understand, like, he's he's suspicious to the extreme, but as an adult working in, in the Plaza Hotel, I could, I could see, like, 
really this kid's just here like what's going on which i understand but like there's a version of that where the guy and it's like the parents call them out on this in the end where it's like there's a version of that where he's like excuse me little boy like are you are you lost are you okay is your are your parents around he's just instantly like sus like he's got a face on like this little shit is here to cause problems and i gotta instantly start like following him and make sure what he's doing i think he says to rob schneider like keep an eye on him or something yeah. like that so he rob schneider takes him to his room and i had to point out they're this like the only welcome good to rob our, schneider, schneider role in the he 90s says, welcome to our finest suite and it doesn't add up with the reservation all he asked for in the reservation was a room with a big bed and one of those refrigerators where you can like take out the candy. That was his whole reservation. <laughs> what do they do though? They stick him in like the executive suite of the, yeah. the whole hotel. It's like, where I, did you I get that from? That reservation request. Like that. It's yeah, like it's like that. a multi multi room suite. Like you know, it's just to the extent. I don't know if it's the same suite or a different one. They put the family in the end. No, That's actually they're, they're a, in a duplex people. suite. I was like, whoa, like, that's crazy. I had no idea yeah, that like, it even existed in that hotel. It was almost like a loft. It's like, it's crazy. That yeah, thing. it's a duplex. Yeah, it's a full on. Yeah. I can't have two full floors. That was pretty cool. Um, so anyway, uh, <laughs> he, he Rob Schneider is looking for a tip. And I thought it, I had the only reason I point this out because it's like it's innocuous for, for our purposes. But he tipped him with a piece of fruit stripe gum. Now, do you remember fruit stripe gum coming out and being a thing? It's gum. It's fruit striped gum. (laughs) Dory points out when she she watches with me and she goes, That's the worst gum ever. It It is flavor in like two seconds. I Dory, I know you're not out there in listener land, but high five. It is the crummiest gum I ever experienced. I bought that exactly one time as a kid at Caldor's and I never bought it again. And I didn't even finish the pack. It was so gross. And I was a gum, a gum chewer back then. So like that one just like completely struck out. <laughs> if you wanted the good stuff, you had to go for uh, big league. Chew. Try that was. No, oh, Big, Big League, League Chew. Chew. That was the stuff. Yeah. yeah. yeah it was the stuff. So he's he's watching um, Angels with Even Filthier Souls. He's got like uh, like personal ice cream service or something like that. <laughs> or is that later with the ice cream? I don't remember. But it, he's uh, he's sitting there and he's watching that. <laughs> and the one thing that I forgot about is that the guy's like, "Yeah, you've been smooching." <laughs> You, you been smooching with everybody's brother. Little no, you know, little like, with that leg. Yeah, <laughs> but I just love the term smooching, and I decided I really need to try and incorporate that into my life some more. <laughs> oh, that's funny. Um, so Tim Curry and the crew uh, end up up there, uh, or I guess it's just him to start, and um, he scares him off with this inflatable clown that he got as like a gift from his aunt. Like it was mm-hmm. supposed to be like a pool toy. Uh, I think the it was, it was grandmother. Grandmother sent grandmother. It. Bizarrely, I guess it was in the father's bag or Kevin's backpack or something. I don't Kevin's know. Backpack, yeah. Um, but he uses the uncle's recording from the shower from earlier in the film. But I was like, this is like what? Like within seconds, I was like, he's got this clown blown up and dancing, rigged up with like string in the shower. Within and I was minute. like, I I know that Kevin is MacGyver. We've seen him, but like he usually has a bit of lead and prep time for these things. So it leads me to question, did he have that already blown up and no, rigged in the shower? I think so. <laughs> and like, was that like one of those in- instant inflatable things? You just hit a button. Yeah. I, I and no like, idea. where did he find like the twine and stuff? It's just like, <laughs> but, 
But please note, he had those things, but yet he had no luggage because his luggage is in yeah. Florida. So he yeah. had no clothes. But yeah, he got, had he's he's bag. an inflatable clown in his bag. <laughs> That's so, all this kid uh, needs. Hilariously, the rest of the family in Miami is just rained in. The place is just pouring. It's like a hurricane like on them or something. So what so I assume is like I, I assume they were supposed to go to a different hotel because when they realized they had no money, they had to go to some like we don't know where they were actually supposed to end up. Well, I would assume it was. I think they're supposed resort. to be there because the uncle makes some comment like, "Oh, it's a lot nicer on our honeymoon," <laughs> like as if like the the uncle had been there oh, that okay. place before Maybe. or something. I don't know. Either way, like it's it's terrible, and and they're all stuck inside, so they're all like feeling sad, watching like uh, Spanish telenovelas or something like that. <laughs> Um, so Kevin at this point is feeling kind of melancholy. It took him a little bit less time to get to this point. I feel like than it did in the original film where he's sort of missing his family and he's kind of regretting that this has happened, even though he's having like the time of his life, um, in New York city. So, uh, Rob Schneider comes up and he, he gives him his underwear, which for some reason he had his like underwear, like dry cleaned, dry cleaned. Yeah. And pressed. Like, I don't <laughs> I mean, it's funny for the sake of the movie, but it doesn't make any Don't sense. Don't those babies around. There might be chicks on this yeah, floor. But he, it's great because he's like, he's like, oh, like you must be waiting for your tip. And he's like, no, no, sir. I've still got some from the last one. So presumably days have gone by and he's still got like that, like fruit stripe gum that he was chewing on. And he's like, oh, all right. I guess you don't need any of this. Then he just pulls out like this massive water, like $50 <laughs> bills. <laughs> <laughs> just slams the door on the guy's face. Yeah, he's like, no, 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 no. <laughs> that was actually very good. I like that. Um, so uh, next thing, he's come down because he's got his own um, personal uh, limo that Tim Curry has um, called for him, and he's very apologetic. And he's like, I love how he says it. He's like, here you are, sir, with your own personal pizza. You know, like, like totally pronounces it like two fully distinct separate syllables with like a little space in the middle there. Just I love how he says it. Um, so he's going to go off on his like limo ride for the day um, because he he's, he wants to go find a toy store. Now, as uh, a kid, the- like as a kid, you would assume that he would have gone to like FAO Schwartz, but instead they invent this Duncan's yeah, toy chest. It's probably I almost like wonder if they tried to get FAO Schwartz and they couldn't. Or they felt like they needed to distance themselves from something like big using FAO Schwartz already, you know, that would be my guess. Um, But this is that part where then we see the Grinch face because Tim Curry um, goes in to check on um, the credit card and he finds that it's stolen. Um, so yeah, I think he's in the car and, uh, he's watching it on like a little tiny screen in the limo, the, who's the Grinch who stole Christmas and it cuts to Tim Curry's face as it shows like stolen. And he's just like, you know, I got you now sort of thing. So, uh, it cuts over to Woolman rink, which is in fact still to date owned by, um, or half owned by Trump. It's also half owned by the, um, central park. Uh, conservancy in there. Um, <laughs> I don't know why they're there. Like, presumably they're like not having like a great time skating around. They're just kind of standing at the edge. And this is where we were thinking about from the recall, which is like where people are skating by Marv. He's like sticking out his hand with like the sticky fingers and swiping 
like mm-hmm. people's mitt, like a kid's mittens and like a woman's scarf and like somebody else's hat. So he's got like, he's got like earmuffs and then he puts a hat on top of the earmuffs. And it's just like, he's just and like, nobody is somehow like noticing <laughs> that everyone is oblivious to him this. grabbing stuff right off of their persons. Exactly. Like- but it's like the same exposition scene that we had in home alone where they were sitting in the van, like watch that house. Now this one, now this one lighting up. All right, we're going to go and rob all these things. Same scene. They're just there for the purpose of like telling us that they're going to go rob this toy store, basically. Um, so uh, we cut to Duncan's toy chest, and I have a note here. It's almost as cool as Mr. Megorium's Wonder Emporium. <laughs> now, at this point, my wife is listening to this podcast, and her eyes are rolling into her head because I love Mr. Megorium's Wonder Emporium. <laughs> and she's always like, why? Like, what about this movie? I don't know. I love that movie to death. If you haven't seen it, folks, make a point to go see it. Great, great film, especially around the holidays. It's not even a holiday film, but it feels like it should be one. <laughs> Um, anyway, the sticky bandits are hiding in like the little kid houses, like the small little kid houses. Mm-hmm. And, uh, I love their plan. It's so cartoonish that like, they're like, we're just going to hang out in here until dark and then we'll come out of the houses and rob it. But it's not that night. So they're just in the houses to like show us and to try, I guess, being in the, <laughs> the houses. So Kevin meets Duncan. He doesn't know it's Duncan. He, he says this is one of the finest toy dealerships, which I thought was funny. Um, that he's ever seen. Um, and Duncan points out that like all of the money that they make, he's going to donate to this local children's hospital. So Kevin decides to give him like a, it, it, bizarrely after Kevin just bought like, like the dumbest possible stuff, which we never see again in the film. He's like, I'm not supposed to spend this, but it would be really good to like help the kids and I don't need it. So he donates him 20 bucks. And so we get the turtle doves, uh, Duncan, suggest taking the two turtle doves and, and, you know, give one to a friend. So that way you'll never be, you'll always be friends. If one of you each has a turtle dove. Um, and at this point, the bandits finally spot Kevin outside of, uh, the, the toy store. Um, so a chase ensues. Um, Kevin ends up buying like a necklace and he strips the beads off to trip the bandits. And I'm like, man, this kid is just like such a MacGyver always thinking on his feet. Um, but then Tim Curry is also chasing him. And this is essentially where like the home alone two video game starts off with like, like the, uh, the, the, uh, guy was, what would be the title of that person at a, um, not concierge. Concierge. Thank you. This is the same thing where like the concierge is going to start chasing him around. Um, but it's, it's kind of funny that like, this is the case like that they wouldn't have like somebody like a doorman or security, whatever. Like there's this kid that keeps coming and going like stop him. If he tries to come in here, he shouldn't be here. And like, what's interesting is like, he runs all the way up to the room to, I guess like kind of supply himself. Um, but he has a actual turnkey for the door. Like in this day and age, I'm always thinking like, Oh, swipe card, swipe card. They could just deactivate it, but he's got like literally a key. So that would be the reason why they like, couldn't like, just lock him out of the room at that point, right. you know? Um, but uh, Cliff at all, <laughs> the security guard all come up to show up to the room. And this is where he uses the angels with even filthier souls, <laughs> you know, to, to get them. In. And it's fabulous because one of the names that she's been smooching with is Cliff. And so <laughs> all the people turn to look at this old guy. And he's like, what? I didn't do nothing. That wasn't me. You know, it's just so great. Like, I love it. He's just got this big cliff name tag on the front of him. 
And then he's like, you better get down on your knees and say you love me. And he, he, they, he like gets down. He's like, I love you. <laughs> it's like, he like gets all the rest of them. I love you. <laughs> I was dying. I like that, that the is, Tim Curry. It's still one of my favorite scenes of the whole so movie. Fabulous. Yeah. So wonderful. Um, so anyway, Kevin escapes, but the bandits are waiting for him at the plaza loading dock and they catch him. And um, like they're walking down this alleyway and telling him exactly everything he needs to know to foil them. Like like, Marv is just spilling the beans and you expect that of Marv, but it took Harry way too long to be like, Marv, shut up, Marv, you know, sort of thing. Um, But uh, they get back out to like the corner of Fifth Avenue again. And here's that same woman again from earlier in the movie. And Kevin just pinches her butt. And I was just like, hashtag me too. <laughs> but uh, but uh, she turns around and sees Marv there again and just like slaps him and knocks him on his ass. And then Kevin's like, no, it was this guy. And so then she like belts Harry and he goes down. Kevin runs off uh, and he, he gets into the trunk of a, a carriage from like a horse carriage down on Bethesda Terrace. Now, because I know New York, here's another fun New York fact for you because I don't have any fun movie facts this time around. There are never horses down on Bethesda Terrace. So that's something that specifically they did for this movie. They're up at the top where the roadway is, but they would never bring a carriage horse down there. And that they're acting like that's like the staging area where you would pick one up and he's hiding there. So I thought that was kind of funny mm-hmm. because yet again, like that's really far into the park, southeast corner of the park where they did that pinching scene to Bethesda Terrace is at least a half an hour walk. <laughs> yeah. So it's just like, it's yet again, another one of these like teleportation, like <laughs> leaps through, through space in the city. Um, so just kind of funny. Um, uh, so Kevin at this point goes to his uncle Rob's townhouse. Now this was baffling to me because I, I was trying to figure out Rob is the brother that's on the trip, right? Or is it no, a, is it another another uncle? I think I think Frank, who's on the trip, is Catherine O'Hara's brother, like his brother-in-law, and his actual brother is away on vacation in France. They say or Paris or or like yeah, Spain something. or something, something like that. Some other like they flip flop vacations this year. It feels like the yeah. Two I mean, brothers. he's got to be on a long vacation because that townhouse is going to take a good like six to nine months to get back to to where it needs to be to become livable. There's just a massive hole in the floor. But it kind of cracked me up that this was the first time that Kevin thought to go there. I don't know if he was expecting to find them there or what, but like his whole plan up to this point was like, I'm going to go live at the Plaza Hotel for an indefinite amount of time when apparently he knew that his uncle was up on West 92nd and he could have just like gone there, you know? So it was, it's another reason why I think this townhouse thing was a poor choice for the movie. Um, It just, it just doesn't really add up. You know what I mean? Um, He's going to this townhouse, but it's at night and he's scared by everything that he's seeing along the park. And given this one little stretch he's walking in is filled with some of the skeeviest stuff I've ever seen on, on, on West, uh, on, uh, Central Park West over there. Um, <clears throat> there's, uh, ladies of the night. There's like crack addicts, you know, I mean, it's like every, every little thing. Night. Yes. Yeah. With their jazz cigarettes, you know, um, <laughs> 
but he um, like goes running into the park. He finally, I think it's scared, I think by the hookers or something, or some guy I think says something to him and he goes, Oh no, he, he tries to leap in a cab and like, mm-hmm. he's like, God, it's scary out there. And the cab guy turns around and goes, not as scary it's, as in here. As in here. <laughs> so he freaks out and goes running into the park. And this is where he um, catches the pigeon lady again in what is a much more frightening appearance where he's like, kind of like in like these like central park, um, uh, bedrock with a ton of bedrock sticks up in central park. And so he's like, he like sort of sees her like appear over the shelf of it. And it's great because her whole area in that park. And I'm so curious why they did this is all on a soundstage. It's all fake. It's not in New York anymore. It's now no longer in, Central Park. It's like as soon as you see him come under like that, like little like footbridge, that's all soundstage. And yeah, as a matter sure. of fact, I, I can't remember if I wrote it in my notes here. It's in like another city or something. I think it's in like Cleveland or something bizarre, um, like where where this little like soundstage is. Um, I guess I didn't put it in my notes, but I, I, I read or found that out somewhere. Um, but uh, she pops up and like he goes ah, ah, and he's running away. And then, like, mid-screaming and running, like, he, like, kind of goes, like, wait, why am I doing this? And he, like, stops and, like, turns around. Because I think she helped him get his shoe unstuck. He, his foot was stuck in the rocks. And she, so he's, like, running. And he kind of, like, has enough time to process that this woman just helped him, not hurt him. So he comes back and starts talking to her. And they kind of strike up, um, you know, a, a conversation and what will eventually become a friendship between the two of them. And they end up, um, he's like, do we, you know, do we have somewhere we could go? And they end up at Carnegie Hall um, and specifically up in the rafters. Like they, they, yeah. I think there's like a, like a chorus or a musical or something going on at the time. And they're like way, way up in the rafters. <clears throat> How? <laughs> How does this woman have access to the top level of Carnegie Hall? Like you, you would even think to yourself, like, all right, maybe there's like some kind of like fire escape or something. She climbs up. I don't know how the heck you would get up there. And she starts talking about that. She's seen people like, like way backdated, even for the nineties, like over like periods of like probably two decades of like going up there. Like 20 years or so. Yeah. And like my other favorite thing is it's like this bizarre storage area for instruments. So like, you've got like, like a harp up there and like all these big things that somebody took from way down behind the stage and brought way up into this lighting rafter up at the top. It's so bizarre. So that's also clearly some kind of soundstage space, I yeah. would imagine. I don't and think that's actually in the top of, what's, of, of Carnegie Hall. What's so funny about that whole scene is that that's a nice little conversation and, you know, whatever. But Kevin exits through a fire escape like Batman. <laughs> he's just like, oh, see you later. Yeah, I you guess it was a fire he's like, escape. I guess like it must be 500 head- feet up. Yeah, I mean, like, honest to goodness, Carnegie Hall is a huge building, so they're going to be going down and down and down and down. So good luck to them, I guess. I guess that must be how he got there, though. I wasn't even thinking about it um, in that context. So the two of them are having this conversation, um, and she's sort of talking about, like, the reason she became homeless is, like, she had a husband and had a family, but she kind of... um, like sequestered herself from them because she was too afraid. Like, I guess the husband left her or something and she had her heart broken and she was too afraid to ever 
put herself in that situation again and therefore is homeless. Okay. Um, but you know, like not your typical, like how somebody goes from uh, like having a family and, and not, you know, in her words, not always being this way to, to somebody living on the street. But, um, at any rate, he kind of gives her like this life advice via a pair of rollerblades that he got given where he's like, I got this new pair of rollerblades as a gift. Didn't want to wear them. So, to ruin so them. cool. I didn't want to wear them. I didn't want to use them. I wanted to keep them very pristine. And next thing I knew I'd grown out of them and I never used them. I'm like, man, this is very poignant life advice from a 10 year old or whatever. Nice. Was 11 year old. <laughs> um, and uh, you know, it's like, well, how do you know that your heart is going to break if, if you never use it, you know, sort of thing. Mm-hmm. Um, so he, he heads out through his little exit whatever. And he, he off her advice sort of sets out to do the right thing because he's like, you know, I've been terrible and like my family hates me. And she's like, she's like, you know, the way you would come back from something like that is like doing like one right thing at a time, you know, sort of thing. He's like, he off her advice decides that the best thing he can do is to stop the sticky bandits from, from robbing Duncan's and by proxy, um, not, you know, the money will make it to the kids at the, at the hospital, which he sees like a kid at the hospital, like waves to him from the window with like a cast on his arm. And I don't know for what reason this kid is in the hospital with his only thing is having a cast on his arm, but I don't know. He must have something else going on. <laughs> but at any rate, um, yeah, there's a lot to, um, you know, the, yeah, it's just, the, this scene just goes like blah, 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 blah. the bandits come out of hiding from the little house Kevin's setting up some traps at the um, townhouse. Um, what I find so crazy is like he has the wherewithal to like find a blueprint and then has, yeah. you know, I, I guess crayons or something like that. And he sketches out over the blueprint how he's going to lay out the, the traps in this house. And he finds all this stuff in, let's say, 45 minutes or so. I mean, yeah, well, the- yeah, there's that. And then the other brilliant thing is that he, to get in and out of the townhouse is using a trash chute that they have, like, you know, and they use this all the time in the city to throw things down to dumpsters. Um, it's basically like this, like two ish or three ish foot wide, like flexible tube. Yeah. Um, and he like, he like, there's portions of it, like on the outside of the house, when you see it, that's a, like a 90 degree, like vertical straight up in the yeah, air angle. And he's just like crawling up it. Like it's like a flat tube. <laughs> yeah, he's like Spider-Man, this kid. Yeah. It's crazy. yeah. Uh, West 95th street. I have a note here for myself is where the townhouse is not West 92nd, which makes more sense. Cause 90 seconds, a big thoroughfare. Um, uh, so Kevin's going to war. He's got his, his notes, everything you got there. Um, in the meantime, um, the mother is at the hotel questioning the staff and she's like, what kind of idiots do you have running this place? And this is where I think you're in my favorite line of this movie becomes out the finest in New York, <laughs> you know, like it's so brilliant. I love it. And it's like, it's so common sense. Like she's like, she's asking them like, well, like if a little kid showed up here by himself, like, wouldn't you like make sure he's okay and like try and find his parents. Like, it's just like, it's like, yes, these are fair questions. Um, but, uh, so again, he, uh, (laughs) he throws a brick through, um, Duncan's Duncan's front window. window. He he snaps a couple pictures on a Polaroid, which I guess he also has with him for his trip here. And he throws a brick through the front window. Um, and I made a note here that um, Duncan's is in fact a place in Chicago that's called the Rookery, 
Um, so I did have a couple of, of uh, fun facts for you, if not, not you know, my normal list. Um, but uh, they now get like what happens to be the world's maybe most unrealistic catapult ever, where <laughs> I guess it's Harry comes running out first. And Kevin's built this little tiny catapult on the ground outside of the front window. And oh, Harry basically gets on it. It's like a two by eight and a, yeah. and a like five gallon drum or five gallon yeah. pail. <laughs> and What's so funny then, is this kid carries this from 90 seconds <laughs> or 90. Yeah. I guess, I guess you have to presume that that's exactly what he did. And I'm assuming that Duncan's is in a likewise location to, FAO Schwartz, which either puts it like kind of again over like yeah, 50, 50ths, or it's somewhere in like the West 70s or 80s, I guess. You know what I mean? They, they're not really clear. You're, there's no likewise toy store in that area is the only reason why I don't believe that that would be where it is, but they don't really ever show it. So you know, right. you have to, you're just kind of left to assume. It's generic <laughs> New York City street. Yeah. The fact that he had to take Mid-town. a limo from... Um, that hotel to get there, I'm assuming that they're making it out like this is a place that's on um, like the Upper West, like 70s or 80s. But when mm-hmm. he runs from it earlier in the movie, he's in kind of like midtownish area, like kind of over on Fifth Avenue. So it's 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 very unclear where this is and how he's getting up there. But again, I digress. Doesn't matter to anybody that doesn't live in New York and know where these places yeah. are. Um, but uh, so <laughs> the first trick of his many tricks that he's going to pull on these guys is he's gotten all the way to the top of the townhouse. And he starts just throwing bricks down at them. And in one respect, it's really unimaginative. But in another, it's so wonderful (laughs) because it's like if some bad guys were chasing you, you could do a lot worse than throwing bricks down at them. And they repeatedly hit Marv. Poor Marv gets one after another after another. And you think they're at one point Harry's going to get tripped up and get one. And no, it still hits Marv. So at this point, my kids are like in tears already, like laughing at Marv's misfortunes and his reactions to getting hit by each of these bricks. Um, So, I mean, we have this whole scene and I didn't write down everything. I sort of like put down my favorite Um, things that occurred during like the many tricks that happen here. Mm -hmm. Uh, So feel free to shout out if you've got some that are not on my list. Um, But I, I did point out, I forgot to mention it before this, that the mother showed up at the townhouse and Kevin just misses her. She like shows up in a cab. Yeah. And she's like, well, nobody's here, which you would think that she'd know that the uncle wasn't there either. Um, And then like gets in the cab and leaves just as Kevin comes running up, (laughs) you know, so like just missed it. (laughs) Um, But he, uh, he has like the, these like paint buckets that he's prepared. So similar to the, the first home alone. Um, And the, the bad guys are onto this. Like, and this is already like well into this scene, you know, they've already fallen through the hole in the floor multiple times, you know, like, you know, like all sorts of things. He's got his uh, head caught on fire and he put, does like a handstand in a toilet with full of kerosene. So there's lots of things that have happened to this point, but. um, But this is one of those moments where they, where they did something that's important in film calling raising the stakes because as you said, the the sticky bandits are prepared for the paint cans, but they're, well, they're not prepared. prepared for a lot of the, yeah, it's wonderful. There's like a lot of callbacks. Like you know, you see Harry tap 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 the doorknob before he goes in because he thinks it's going to burn him, and he yeah. gingerly steps through doorways because he's afraid of the flamethrower. So it's kind of a neat 
throwback in that respect. You know what I mean? Yeah. But to your point, absolutely. Then it's like, how do we step this up another notch? So they they basically get a cast iron pipe that's probably about three feet long and one would assume weighs 150 pounds or so. And Kevin <laughs> like, heavy. Hulk Hogan's this thing and hoists it on two strings essentially and sends it barreling at these two knuckleheads and knocks them completely off but the stairs. But it's because they, they think they've got like the best of him. Like it's like, wait, wait, wait. You remember this from last time. Like it's like – all right, I'm going to run up the stairs and get that kid. Here I go. And they're like fake stomping their feet. And the one can comes whizzing down. Oh, he got me. You know, like, all right, now I'm going to go up there. Oh, he hit me too, you know, sort of thing. And then like they're not waiting for like that cast iron pipe to come sailing yeah. down. And then like, the two of them go flying through the air, through the hole in the floor, all the way down to the basement. And at that point, they're dead. <laughs> yeah, like, they are like dead. as if like several pre-existing things wouldn't have just straight up killed these guys. No, they're dead at that point. Yeah. Or at least seriously concussed and unconscious. But um, not only that, not only are they dead at this point, at one point, one of them gets electrocuted when like well, turn on the farm. Yeah, yeah. So like, I, I, I should mention. So he like goes falling through that hole the first time. He goes, wow, what a hole. <laughs> like it just seems so improv, but he's, he's, uh, he's got some like water he's poured out and he's got it connected to, why does he have a battery? It's an arc welder, I think. Um, yeah. And, but he's got it connected to something that then Marv touches. And he grabs out and he's going, oh, yeah, that's exactly what it is. That's exactly it. He's got it connected to the, the metal portions of the sink. So he goes to like turn the faucet on to like clean himself from getting stuff smeared all over him. The paint, I think. And yeah. he's going, whoa, whoa. <laughs> like I can't even hit I can't even yeah. hit with my voice the high pitched tone and scream that comes out of this man. And he like turns into like a skeleton at a point. Yeah. And it's great because my kids who are like so like don't like scary things, they're like, that was weird. That was freaky. I didn't like that. You know, but he's got like this like fried like afro crazy hair in the skeleton. It's so cartoonish and brilliant. I love it. Um but uh, <laughs> I have to bring this up, and I think I brought it up in our recall. My favorite trick of the bunch, and I can't even really say why, except just the physics of it, and it's just so funny, is that the two of them show up at this like upstairs door that's going to lead them to the like the third floor, or the the, the mm-hmm. roof area, whatever, and. Kevin shoves this entire like Stanley tool chest down the stairs. Now in real world, that thing just tips over and slides down the stairs. But in Home Alone world, it goes kadoom, 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 kadoom. <laughs> with, with all the wrenches with, popping yeah, out like of it. The tools are popping. It is such a wonderful visual. And I love it so much. It's so insane. And they're listening at the door. The two of them have their ears up against the door like, what is that? What is that? <laughs> and the thing finally comes down all the way, takes the door right off the hinges, yes. smashes it, like goes clean the, the wall across the room and smashes them against the wall. And he goes like, that was the sound of the tool chest falling down the stairs. <laughs> At that point, I'm just like on the floor. I love that so much. So they get to the roof they're trying to throw bricks down um, at Kevin now and just missing horribly. 
he's climbed down a rope that he's thrown down the, the side of the building and he's down on like some um, scaffolding below. And the two of them are like, all right, come on, we got to go chase him. We got to go down this, this rope. So they start chasing him down the rope and like, how dumb could you possibly be? You know, <laughs> and they're coming down it and like, Harry's below and Marv is above and Marv starts kind of sniffing and he's going like, what does that smell? What something <laughs> smells? What is that? And Harry's like, he's like, he, he asked him like, is it something? And he's like, no, it's kerosene. The whole rope is soaked in it for some reason. And it's like, Jesus Christ. Like how dumb could you be that you, <laughs> you haven't caught on with this kid at this point? And Kevin straight up pulls out like a match or a lighter and lights the bottom of the <laughs> rope. And it's like, Go back up! Go back up! <laughs> trying to climb as this rope is just like going slowly, like this huge fire up the up the rope. And I think Zoe at that point goes like, "Oh my god, that's not good!" <laughs> you know, like just like this like great reaction. And they can't make it, and they fall off the rope, and they fall the entirety of the height of this of townhouse <laughs> again Which for those who might not two. be familiar in, in, in new york city typical brownstone townhouse like that has a lower level that's about like three-ish four-ish feet below street level then you go up a set of stairs to like a first floor level and then there's usually like two three levels above that so if you haven't seen this movie and if you don't remember it they're falling a good like four to five stories of oh, distance sure. from the top of this townhouse. And they come smashing not only through the wood and metal scaffolding, but then all of the buckets of paint. There's just all sorts of colors of paint. I don't know what color this bre- <laughs> this townhouse was going to be, this brownstone was going to be, but it has like green paint and blue paint and yellow paint and like all Got these all. paint cans fly up in the air and then they come down and land on <laughs> <laughs> it's just like one just travesty after another. And if these guys weren't dead yet, they're definitely dead by this point. Yeah. So very Kevin runs from the scene over to Central Park West and there's a payphone there and he calls 911 or he's, he's intending to call nine. He calls them and he's like, these guys, they're robbing the, they robbed the Duncan's toy chest. We're in Central Park. Look for the fireworks. But he starts to run and just like completely like goes, you know, <laughs> ass over tea kettle on this sheet of ice that I'm like, come on, Kevin, you could have seen that coming. It's like just this one sheet of ice right where he's running could have ran either way around it. But he hits that thing and just goes boom and he's out. Now, these villains who have just gotten repeatedly hit in the head on multiple falls, all the, they're not like concussed and dead in the hospital. But Kevin boom lights out on that ice <laughs> so of course they catch him and they bring him into the park and like um uh harry pulls out his gun he's got this like little like revolver pistol he pulls it out is, now he's been like now, he could have yeah. killed the kid <laughs> yeah. several times over and it's like it's all covered in like um i forget goo? what they got into if it was like yeah it's like goo but like oh you know what it was um like, like grease uh, or wood something. finish. It was like a, like yeah. a wood like a like a stain for like the floor or something. Mm-hmm. Um, so he, he they're all covered. So the thing's just gooey, 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 and um, he's like he, they're like tri- like oh, I'm gonna I'm gonna kill you, and they're kind of like you know messing with him beforehand. And here comes the pigeon lady, and she uh, yells something at them, and they turn around. She just throws this bucket 
of bird seed on the two of them, which of course naturally sticks to the two of them because they're covered head to toe and all this stuff. And they're the sticky bandits. Yes, they are. That's true. It kind of came back to bite them in the butt, didn't it? I didn't even think about that. Bravo, sir. Um, (laughs) You look so (laughs) proud right there. (laughs) And uh, the, uh, the pigeons descend on. I think that's what it is. I think uh, Marv is looking up and he's going, Harry, Harry, like there's like these like hundreds of <laughs> pigeons above them in the trees as like Harry, like Harry's talking about killing him. And so the pigeons just just descend on the two of them and they're ah, on the floor. And like Kevin takes off and sets up his, his like series of Roman candles. It's like, where the How heck did, did he they come from? Like, where did they come from? Again. Like, where did he get those? Like, he, he, he couldn't have had them on his luggage. I see no way that he bought them anywhere in New York. They're straight up illegal in New York. I don't know where those came from. I mean, could they have been in the uncle's house? (laughs) No, Maybe. Yeah, maybe. Yeah, maybe he found them in there. It seems like there's like a deleted scene. Cops arrive, arrest the sticky bandits. Um, Every day is saved. The money for the kids' hospitals immediately returned. Mr. Duncan sees Kevin's note, um, and he recognizes who saved the day for him. And he, he, he's like, you know, thank you for the turtle doves. And he's got like this like great, like happy, like look on his face that, that you know, the day was saved. Meanwhile, still the mother is still uh, running around and she's down in Times Square and she runs up to a pair of cops in one of the cool old um, New York City police cars and uh, starts chatting with the cop. And he's like, well, like, did you file a report? And she's like, of course I did. He's like, all right, well, then leave it to us. We'll, we'll figure it out. And like she kind of like knocks on his window again. And he's just like what he's like do you have kids as a matter of fact i do and it's like well if if they were lost like what'd you be doing he's like same thing you're doing all right hop in let's see if we can help you um and then uh she i think he says some line to her like well like if you were him where would you be as she like gets this light bulb moment she's like oh I know exactly where he would be and because Kevin so loves it. She says something like that. She's like, if he were at home, he'd be underneath well, this Christmas tree that he loves so well, much. Because he says in the beginning of the movie, there's no Christmas trees in Florida. Yes. Yeah, no. And even in the first movie, he was very much about his Christmas tree. That's kind of his thing. So she recognizes that he has to be at Rockefeller Center. By the way, the very first time that Kevin has visited the tree in Rockefeller Center, yes. this whole movie. <laughs> so, wow, what timing. Um, and this is now, I'm going to put it on record again, the by and far most unrealistic thing that's happened in this movie so far. There's been umpteen things that people should have died. But this Stuff doesn't make sense moment. with them getting around the thing. But this, by and far, folks out there in listener land, is the most batshit insane thing that has never happened in New York City except for when they were filming this scene Rockefeller Center in the month before and after Christmas is like cattle call heaven it's it's (laughs) what I call human waves of people you yeah it's just insane and in this particular moment (laughs) which let's say approximately maybe it's midnight 11 30 maybe something like that it's just on Christmas Eve. Kevin, on Christmas Eve, it's Kevin alone and his mom walking in, and there's no one else. There's in there. no like, cars on Fifth Avenue behind her. There's no people anywhere there. That place is a mob scene on Christmas night. Insane, beyond insane. Just the two of them there. <laughs> that one blew my mind. But they're reunited at last, and Duncan, as a thank you 
sends just this absolutely insane amount of generic presence to the plaza for the family. And this crummy family is like so like ready to go, like rip all this stuff open, even though basically all of it has to be toys by the very nature of Duncan's shop. It's not like yeah. they sent like sweatpants for yeah. auntie, whatever, you know, it's like, it's like, it's all just like toys. Um, and he must've sent one of everything in the store because you see this huge box truck in front of the plaza unloading. And it's everything. a giant tree in the room too. Like he yeah, did everything. Yeah, yeah. yeah. This guy went to the nines. Um, and this family yeah. slept through it all. <laughs> yes. <laughs> like, yeah. No yeah exactly. That. In this insane duplex, um, uh, room that they got at the plaza. Um, <laughs> and buzz of all people, I, I had to give him like a little like hug here. He he goes to whistle with his two fingers, which is a skill that I also do not have. I've mm-hmm. tried my whole life. Are you able to do that? No. No. <laughs> Valid try though. Yours is even probably better than mine. But he's trying, he's going <laughs> like it just he finally just like says like hey or whatever. And um, I, I had to give him a little hug because I just I cannot do that either. But he gets everybody's attention and he's like, first present should go to Kevin. And he he had to here you go, Kev. And I don't even think Kevin opens it. He, like, he has it, this no. like he looks up at the tree and he sees the turtle doves hung up on the tree, which how did the turtle doves go from like his possession to up on the tree is also kind of baffling. Unless there's another I set just, of I always assumed it was another set of turtle doves. That's yeah, but then, favorite. like, it kind of loses some of its meaning, right? Because that was, like, the one pair of turtle doves. I don't know. Anyway, th- these people went into his stuff in the middle of the night and took out the turtle doves and put it on the tree is, is what I'm going with. In his room. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> he, is a he, he brings the turtle dove and he, he gives it to the, the pigeon lady in the park and gives her the whole spiel of now we'll always be friends. Oh, Kevin. Um and in the meantime, the room service bill shows up, which I think still comes from Rob Schneider. And Buzz and takes looking, it. Looking and for another Buzz tip. Like, oh, boy. Like, yeah. And, like, he just shuts the door in his face. He goes, well, no, 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 no. He, 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 go, he goes like this to ask for a tip. And Buzz takes his chewed gum out. Gum out. That's and right. And puts it in his hand. And then shuts the door. And he goes, nice family. Really. And I'm like, Rob Schneider's saying what we're all thinking at this point. World's worst family. And he, he goes, oh boy. He's like, wait till dad sees this. And he gives the dad the bill. And from Central Park, <clears throat> you just hear him go, Kevin, what did you spend on my credit card or whatever? You know, like, so, it was nine, $967. $967 on my credit card. And like, he goes, he goes like this, like, oh no, Movin and goes like <laughs> running off and roll credits. So, I have to say, like I asked you in the beginning, what did you think of this movie compared to the other? I almost kind of like this movie a little better than the first yeah. now, having watched it again. Uh, it's got kind of a fun charm. And I don't know how much of this is because I'm very nostalgic and missing New York after moving um, or having sat down with my whole family and shown it to my kids. You know what it but is? It, I think it's the fact that you have the the people of the hotel, the employees of the hotel – add another layer so it's not just kevin and the two villains like you have these extra ensemble i think it's also just more fun to see this taking place in a broader world you Mm -hmm. know like in the original movie most of the movie takes place at the McAllister house with the exceptions of times where he walks to town or you know there's like an ice skating rink but i kind of like like imagine there was no home alone Imagine Home Alone Lost in New York is, is the first Alone, movie. Right? 
um, because it basically, without a couple, you know, a couple of jokes missing, could stand on its own. Like it's conceivable that this could have been the first time that this happened to this family, and that this kid is savvy enough that he got left in New York and he's able to figure his way around and do whatever. Um, I like that broader world. I like that there's kind of more going on. I like the involvement of Duncan in the children's hospital. It's not just like Kevin, like I got to protect my home for reasons. Mm-hmm. You know, he could have just gotten out of there. Like he didn't have to protect the home in the first one. Um, so I kind of like that. It's got this sort of expanded narrative, expanded cast of characters. Um, I miss John Candy and sort of some of the stuff that went on yeah. with his people, but it also wasn't necessary you know, like you barely see the family and what's going on. You barely see the mom coming back for him. I and I don't like miss it, that, you know? I feel like there's probably this element of they probably could have thrown a John Candy in, but then it would have really felt like the same movie. Like, yeah. hey, you just happen to be in Florida and we're in Florida too. Exactly. Like, <laughs> yeah. But I think they took this idea and they're like, all right, look, what worked well about this first movie? Because they're like, we had lightning in a bottle with the first movie. How do we repeat that in a way where people will come out for it and see it, but we're also going to be able to maintain enough box office where people aren't like, this is exactly like people are going to want more of the same, but we also don't want it to be the exact same movie. And I think they did such a wonderful job. And again, I'm going to throw this back into to you because this is like what, exactly what you're saying. How do we step it up? How do we take it to another level? How do we make it the next big thing? Right. And I think they did a really good job. You put it in that. a bigger place. Like you put it yeah. in the theoretically the biggest city in the world. You go from a house in a small town to the biggest city in the world. But it's like all the things that worked in the original, they're going to do more of, and some of them they're going to do bigger and better. So even like expanding on the relationship with like, I think the guy's name is Marley in the first movie, the old old man that comes and saves him with the shovel. That's the exact same story with the pigeon lady. But here we have that more fleshed out. We get to see how does Kevin react when he realizes and learns from the first movie that like, wait, maybe this person isn't at face value who I think they are. Right. So he's had character growth and he goes through and he, you know, he helps her to become a better person and, you know, vice versa. And it's like, you know, I just, I really like the narrative of this that said, like I said, in the beginning, how would I have done this movie differently? I don't think I would have gone with there being a townhouse that an uncle had that was under this massive construction. I do do like the idea of, Either the toy store be the, the toy store. Yeah. I mean the hotel, like I would have liked to have seen, cause they, he already did two pranks at the hotel. Throw it as like a third prank, right? Put it in that rule of threes zone and mm-hmm. do a third prank at the hotel. But the toy store, if he was battling them and it, you know, it's like, well, how would he set that up? That becomes like a tough question. You know, like he wouldn't have the time to get in there and prepare necessarily. But if you look at that toy store, like there was stuff hanging in the ceiling, there's exactly. trains, there's the exactly. little houses, there's, there's like, so be, many little things that he could utilize. It would utilize. be more spur of the moment, but we see him do spur of the moment things like, like, I guess like take the clown as an example or take the beads in the beginning. He can think on his feet. You know what I mean? Right. So like conceivably all he needs to do is break that front window or otherwise alert the cops to the, their presence and then keep them there until the cops arrive. You know what I mean? Like just keep them there. He doesn't need to take them someplace else, call 911 and set off some elaborate fireworks, keep them at that place without them knowing that they're coming and just keep, you know, he just has to slow them down. And you could still have that where they finally catch up to him and they've got the gun and stuff like that. Now, how do you bring the pigeon lady into that? That's tougher. You know, like maybe there you're not able to do that story. Maybe that's why they needed to get him out of that place. Or maybe, again, maybe Duncan's isn't terribly far from the park and he finally escapes the place and runs across the street 
to the pigeon lady. And that's, you know, where we get her final involvement, but it doesn't need to be at like some townhouse and everything first. So I think that's my big gripe with this movie, which, you know, like it, you know, not a big gripe to have. But theoretically, like if it was where FAO Schwartz is, it's that's kind of close to the near the entrance of the park. Yeah, I mean, it's conceivable that he could go find her at that southeast corner of the park where he's found her before. You know what I mean? Yeah. Um, you know, he's not able to keep them. His his traps don't work enough. He's not able to keep them occupied long enough and he needs to get out of there. So he goes to the park. That would be how I would like think about rewriting this. Um, but it was what it was. I, I think the traps that he ends up doing at the townhouse are funny and really, you know, like steps it up another level. Like it's, it, you know, it's like you cringe and like, I, it's the irony. I think of what I was saying last time that like, there was a lot of critics saying they didn't like this movie because it was way too violent with those things. I think it's that level of cartoonish violence that makes it work. Like I said, my five-year-old was dying when this yeah. like tool chest is chasing him down the stairs or the guy's flying through the hole or the toilet explodes. She loves that because why? Because it's the same type of cartoonish humor you'd see in a Bugs Bunny cartoon. Right. It's, it's like, or, or SpongeBob it's, or yeah, uh, exactly. It's, it's, you know, it's just, it, it just, it works for that sort of like age level. And the fact that these kind of like critics were like, ugh, it's, it's too, da- you know, like violent for my taste. It's like, get over yourselves. This is exactly what this needs to be. And they needed right. to step up those traps and make them that much more insidious and yeah. that much more dangerous and, and more spine breaking. And where you want your reaction to be like, oh, oh, my God, that's awful. You want the adults in the room to have that reaction. You know what I mean? Yeah. Um, so I, I think they delivered on that front at least. But uh, I just wish it could have been a different venue. I just think it would have been fun seeing him like, weaponized it, toys you know what i yeah. mean i think that would have been like a, just like an interesting thing but um yeah yeah i digress so that's pretty much it for our review of home alone 2 you know i too think that this is both of the movies are fun i think this movie is a little bit more fun and i think at times it's paced a little bit better because there's there's longer lulls in the first movie than there is in this movie where it's just one beat to the next to the next to the next which i which i thoroughly enjoy and you know i i'm i'm bummed that there's like so many other sequels that will never live up to the first two films because obviously you know the main cast is not in it and it's just totally different narratives and so on and so forth but the same tropes um but that's really our review for Home Alone 2, Lost in New York. So, Pete, I'm looking at our list here for <laughs> December of 92. and This is so, tough. So here's what I would say like really quickly, and maybe this feeds into what you're thinking. If we do a vote on this at all, I think it's two movies. I don't think it's four movies. I was going to say three. three. I'm going to say three. Okay. I'm gonna, and I'm going to say Aladdin – a Few Good Men and The Bodyguard. Yeah, I, sh- I was like, I know Mike's going to want to add The Bodyguard in there. I love I The Bodyguard. I know you do. I don't see The Bodyguard beating either of those it other It doesn't two. have a shot and in hell. <laughs> despite A Few Good Men being the movie that it is, I don't see that even beating Aladdin. I could be wildly surprised, but I, I think, you know, like I was talking with the guy at my comic shop the other day. And uh, he had a, a Goofy movie t-shirt on. I said, God, Floyd, every time I come in here, you have the best t-shirts on. I said, I love Goofy movies. One of my all-time favorite Disney movies. He goes, he goes, it's my second favorite. I said, you know, it's probably my second favorite. He goes, my number one favorite is Aladdin. I'm like, Floyd, you and I are meant to be friends. <laughs> I was like, that is my all-time favorite Disney animated 2D movie. Um, and 
you know, like I have such fond memories of it. Like this is like the movie that like I was my first birthday movie that I took friends to for a birthday. So like I have such a hard time believing that either the bodyguard or a few good men is going to trump Aladdin no, in this movie. But I got to put it out there. We will throw the poll up there because I think it's good to throw the poll up there and it lets people know that we're, we're doing something. <laughs> We'll let people vote. Um, it's going to be a short poll because by the time we're recording this, we are already on the first Friday in December. So we got to turn and burn here, folks. So yeah. this is going to so, be like a, like a two or three day poll. So get your votes in quick. <laughs> yeah. So let's post it like today, which is Friday the second. And maybe we'll have the results by like Wednesday of next week and we can maybe record. Yeah, I'm going to get, as soon as this recording is done, I'm going to go and post it because I don't want to let it stew any longer than okay, that. Cool. Um, so, so, yeah. folks, if you want to check us out, you can go to our website, boxoffice30.com, and check out a lot of our back episodes and, and stuff like that. You can also go to our social media. You can go to – at Facebook, it's boxoffice30, and that same thing with Twitter as well. People are still on Twitter. Who yeah, knows? Yeah, Twitter exists anymore. Who knows? Yeah. <laughs> and if, you are a, if you're an Instagrammer, you can go to boxoffice, T-H-I-R-T-Y, at – box office 30 on Instagram uh, that came out weird, but you know, you get it. <laughs> so um, on top of that, you can also go to our T public store and check out some of our merch. If you're looking for a holiday gift idea. And also if you're looking for any other holiday gift ideas, my other podcast wizard, the podcast guide to comics is now partnered with manscaped. If you want to get your loved ones, some really great merch, you can get the, lawnmower 4.0 or the weed whacker or the plow 2.0 or the various products they have they get then us a really great care package you can go to manscape.com and use the promo code wizards 20 and get 20 percent off and free worldwide shipping from now until whenever you use the promo code which would be fantastic it helps the show out it helps us out and i've been using the products because i shaved my head and have shave my nose and whatever and the whatever is the concerning part <laughs> it's really great stuff i really love the products um I, I highly recommend it they're a great company really great people go to manscape.com promo code wizards 20 you get 20 percent off and free worldwide shipping from manscaped and speaking of wizards, I just want to throw you guys another shout out here quick. Um, if you like listening to Michael and I, and of course you do, because here you are at the, uh, you know, hour and change into uh, this podcast. Uh, we just both did a um, superhero fantasy draft over on the Wizards podcast. Just dropped the other day on both the um, Wizards feed as well as their YouTube channel. Uh, it's a lot of fun if you're into um, comic books and superheroes. Um, this is something that Mike has been trying to get together for a while, and I had a ball um, in, you know, uh, participating in it. Uh, hopefully we make this an annual thing, do it again next year or something. Although I was thinking about it after listening to it the other day that we should like do instead of us voting who had the best team, we should put it out there to like the listening public and let them vote for, for who, uh, who they liked on it. I thought that would be a good way to get us all off the burner. Cause we were struggling to figure out, yeah, you know, who should, who should go. <laughs> so but check it out. Also, it's a lot of fun. It's a lot of fun. We're going to do a March madness one too, which will be a bracket system, which I got to figure out now as well. And then for the draft next year, we're going to try to do some image characters or other, you know, genres of comics as well. And, and mix it all together but it was super fun it was a really great uh, collaboration of chit chatting with you know a bunch of guys just hanging out and talking about superheroes for a little while but listen that's it for us this month and 
well, we're the beginning of this month. You'll be hearing <laughs> like three episodes this month from us because we've got to catch up. But happy um, holidays! Happy holidays, everybody! <laughs> Thank you so much for listening. And remember, these two guys, we're the finest in New York. Yes, <laughs> he said it. I got nothing. All right, bye, friends. <laughs>